In our Bible classes together, we've been looking at some of the famous stories that appear in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. We've kind of been going back and forth between uh, those different testaments. And in this video, we're going to be taking a look at Mark's gospel. We've seen a lot of stories from Matthew's gospel and kind of looked at some of the, the, uh, the big stories, the famous stories from there. And in Mark's gospel, I want to share with you a few things. Um, I've titled this kind of the gospel of Mark, the beginning the end, and immediately in between. Now, the reason why I've worded it like that is because um, Mark's gospel is very interesting in how he starts his gospel, how he ends his gospel, and then I put immediately because uh, it kind of depends on your translation, but pay attention to it and you will notice that Mark's gospel is full of words like um, immediately this thing happened and then it just kind of goes into something else or then he's like um, right after that happened then this thing happened and it's that's a word that keeps getting repeated and it depends on your translation as to whether or not it's going to be translated as immediately but something like that is going to really push Mark's gospel on so it's kind of a neat gospel it's a very short gospel only 16 chapters long it's about half or so of the other of the the gospels and with that, he just really is driving this story forward, um, one thing right after another. And that's one of the, some of the key features behind uh, Mark's gospel. There's also some uh, interesting um, things that we see at the beginning and end. So I want to kind of point out some of those things. And uh, let's take a just brief look at Mark's gospel together. Okay, so we're going to start off in verse 1, and we're going to work our way through uh, really quickly just kind of several things in the first chapter. Uh, we're not going to look at every verse in the first chapter, and we're not going to look at great details in each one of these things, but I want you to get a little bit of a taste of what Mark's gospel is about. And I would strongly encourage you, and it wouldn't take too long to do so, to just read through Mark's gospel and kind of pick up on some of these things and, and notice them. So, so let's start with the beginning of it. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verses 1 through 9, he starts off like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out uh, to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So already, nine verses in it, this gospel is unlike all of the others. Mark does not, um, excuse me for lack of, of better uh, terminology here, uh, Mark doesn't waste time with anything about Jesus whenever he was a baby, whenever he was young and stuff. And I said waste time. Of course, um, Matthew and, and Luke and John, they're not wasting time whenever they kind of talk about some of those early things, or John even goes, you know, kind of the beginning of all time. But Mark's not concerned about any of those things. He says, look, let's focus on Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the one who's been prophesied. And that's about as far as Mark really goes. And then immediately he gets into John the Baptist is already an adult. 
So is Jesus, by the way, because Jesus and John are pretty much the same age. And we see that already John is coming out. He's into the wilderness. He's got this message. He's the one who's preparing the way for the Lord. And Mark is just one who you just get thrown right into the middle of the story. This is, uh, he just, he hits the ground running. This is the message. This is what he is focusing on right here. And it is the gospel, just plain and simple. Uh, and he just goes right into it. Jesus is already an adult. Jesus is already getting baptized um, at the very beginning. And then he immediately just goes into, he's preaching, he's proclaiming. And that's just how Mark dives into the midst of the story. He definitely gives you enough to see, look, Jesus is legitimate. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the one who's been prophesied. And this is his story. This is the, the gospel message, good news about Jesus. If we skip on down a few more verses, we see Mark is not, uh, not wasting time. When we pick back up in verses 14 through 20 of Mark 1, we read, After John, talking about John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw uh, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Once again, the story is moving so quickly. We already see John's just been introduced just a few verses later. Now in verse 14, John, he's put in prison. Okay, so whenever John is put in prison, now Jesus, it's his time to kind of step forward, his time to shine. He's saying the same message that John the Baptist was saying. And in verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe this good news. Believe the gospel message. And that is going to be at the heart of what everything that Mark is going to be speaking about has to do with. Is this kingdom of God, we need to repent. Um, it, it's all happening right here, right now. We need to believe this gospel message. We need to believe the good news. And then Mark lays this all out. He starts off by kind of focusing here in verse 16. Already we see Jesus, he's not only an adult in chapter 1, but he's also already calling disciples. These are not just, you know, kind of the, the disciples in general and or the disciples at large. These are what we call the apostles. Um, some of those who are going to be sent out, um, they start off, we see that they're fishermen. And he says that he's uh, going to send them out to fish for people. So everything about their background... Um, their their family business and you know I mean even to us today kind of leaving a family business is a pretty big deal but I mean for them for them in their society this would have been a huge deal I mean how many generations do you think they have been fishermen I mean we already read about two because we see that Zebedee is in the boat he's fishing and we see that it's this next generation and they're fishing Without a doubt, you can tell that they've gone back several more generations than just this. This is what they know. This is what their family has done. And they're going to leave that to follow Jesus. It's a pretty extreme call for us today. And, you know, many times people even who become Christians and followers of Christ in our world today, um, they have a radical type of following as well. 
Um, yes, of course, we have some people who they just kind of grew up in a Christian home and that's all that they've ever known. And that's just, that's always what they've, um, been kind of raised up to do and, and to become is a follower of Jesus. But there are still many people who become Christians who have this extreme, uh, change in their lives, just like we read about here in Mark chapter one. Now, this is not all that Mark is going to start off with because not only do we see Jesus is already preaching in the first chapter. He's already calling um, disciples, but yet there's more. He's also doing miracles and pretty extreme miracles in the very first chapter of Mark. This is how Mark begins his gospel. Verses 21 through 28. We're going to pick up here and we're going to, going to read even more about what Jesus does. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So already we see um, not only is he doing miracles, but I mean, we see an exorcism in the very first chapter. I mean, that is just kind of uh, amazed me whenever I really realized this story is in the very first chapter of Mark's gospel. Um, so yes, I would encourage, you know, someone who really wants to get at the heart of of what the gospel is and to be able to read it quickly, Mark's gospel is a great start. Uh, Mark's gospel is also one that's just going to throw you right in the midst of all this action. And here we see a lot is happening. We also are introduced to something in this miracle, in this, this healing, um, that is a, a little uh, interesting that we continue to see in Mark's gospel. Uh, it makes sense in verse 25 that Jesus says, be quiet and, you know, come out of him. He is telling this, this uh, demon... Uh, this possessed person, um, to uh, uh, he's telling the demon not to proclaim who he is. Now that's something that we see in the other Gospels as well. But one thing that we are going to continue to see in Mark's Gospel, if you keep reading it, we're not going to notice it too much in this video, but if you keep reading Mark's Gospel, you'll find out that Jesus not only tells the demons to be quiet, but many times he tells people who are healed to be quiet about it too. Now, there's a few different reasons for that. You know, I used to think that that was some type of reverse psychology. I think it's deeper. I think that one of the, the things that we see about that is one of the reasons that he tells them to be quiet and to not spread all this news is because you look at verse 28. News is already spreading quickly over the whole region about him. So, I mean, news is going to spread whether he tells it to or not. So that news is, is already happening. In fact, several times in Jesus' ministry, news spreads so much and there's so much of a crowd that he can't even just kind of walk around and just do his thing because the crowds are so uh, dense right around him. So yes, on the one hand, um, the news doesn't need to spread because it's already going to be spreading and it's already kind of so many people that it's causing a little bit of difficulties for Jesus' ministry. But even beyond that, this type of news of what's happening right here is really 
kind of the wrong sort of news that needed to be spread. When you look at Jesus, you see that um, it, it's really not that surprising that he was put to death. Um, it's actually been stated by several people uh, long before me. The surprising part is that he was able to do this ministry of his for three years before they put him to death. Now, the reason why it's not surprising that they put him to death is because there's so much about his message and so much about what he is, is doing and preaching and saying that seems to be kind of bypassing um, the powers that be or the kind of the proper channels, so to speak. That's because Jesus is changing the channels right here whenever he comes. Now, what I'm speaking especially about right here is the temple and the function of the temple. Um, you know, the temple and and all was supposed to be kind of uh, the way through which you encountered God, um, the way through which you received healing and all of these other things. But yet Jesus is out in the midst of people and he's healing people. He's forgiving their sins. And that's just not the way it was supposed to happen. At least that's what most people kind of thought around this time. And of course, it's not the typical way of, of which those things happen. But with Jesus... He's bringing in something new. That's why he's telling them, look, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's come. It's already in your midst. You need to repent. You need to change. Things are changing all around them. And Jesus was bringing in those changes. Because of those changes, the people who already had um, you know, the, the power and were used to doing things the way that they'd always done them, um, they don't always like to change things. And here in this case, that's one of the reasons why Jesus was, was put to death is because he seemed to be proclaiming something different that went um, against the law of Moses. It's not that he was against the law of Moses. He was changing what was happening at a foundational level. So these are things that we already start to see. And, you know, if you keep reading, uh, Jesus is going to continue to heal even more people. And if we're going to fast forward in this story a little bit, we're going to fast forward all the way to verse 39 now. Mark chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. So this will kind of end out uh, the first chapter right here. And we see a little bit of a summary um, statement of what he's doing and, and how he has been healing all of these different people. In verse 39, So Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean, clean, cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So here we see another healing, and we're still in chapter 1. Um, and we've even skipped over some healings as well. But this man right here who has leprosy, uh, we see with, with his healing, he comes to Jesus. Jesus is going to heal him, and he does heal him. We see in verse 42... Here's this statement, immediately the leprosy left him. So, you know, Mark's gospel is one that's just going to go from one thing to another. And right after that, we see in verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once. So once again, it's kind of, it's words that are really pushing the story um, forward very quickly. And if you keep reading, even in the next chapter, you're going to see that the story is, is still pushing forward 
uh, at a very fast pace. So we see the Jesus' miracles, they happen instantly, there's a quick nature to them. We also see that Jesus is sending this, this person away, and he's got his own, his whole reasons for it. These are the same things that I just kind of mentioned before with the demon-possessed person. Uh, here in this case, it's someone who's been cleansed of leprosy, and Jesus is actually telling him something uh, very kind of uh, interesting. This is almost a kind of an exception to the way that Jesus oftentimes does things. Because Jesus heals him, but then he tells him that he needs to go and he needs to make the sacrifice uh, that has been commanded by Moses. Now, all of that is so that he doesn't um, bring about even more uh, undue attention to him. But also, you need to recognize that they still were living in the days of the law of Moses. And even Jesus himself, he followed the law of Moses. So this man needed to follow the law of Moses as well. And all of this was a testimony to his healing. So because he's told that he needs to go to the temple, he still needs to do all these things. Uh, yes, he'd already been healed, but this is going to be kind of an, an open statement that he's going to get a clear bill, bill of health, so to speak, and that he's going to be recognized as being cleansed. That that was part of the job of the priest, that they would look at him, examine him, notice he's clean, and openly state he's clean. Then he would offer these sacrifices and go through this whole process and we see that Jesus is bringing about um, these things and he's he's also going to kind of be teaching that the temple is changing it's no longer just about this one building but now Jesus himself he calls his own body a temple um, not necessarily right here but in other passages he does and he's getting their uh, ideas to change and to recognize that he is this temple he is the place where they encounter God and things are changing so, right here, uh, this man doesn't even listen to him. He just goes and he just can't help but spread this news. So news is going to spread whether Jesus tells it to or not. But here in this passage, uh, in this very first chapter, we see how quickly it is all beginning. And we also see that Jesus is kind of telling them to be quiet about it. Now, we live in a different time. We live in a time whenever we need to openly and boldly proclaim. Yes, there might be a time in which it's good to you know, keep silent for one reason or another. But by and large, for the most part, we need to be people who are openly and boldly proclaiming this gospel message to you know, everyone around us. I just wish and I hope that we can want to proclaim it as openly and as boldly as these people that we are reading about here in Mark's gospel. So this is the beginning of Mark's gospel. We're about to take a look at the end, but I said, and immediately uh, in between, well, we've already kind of noticed how Mark is pressing through. So if you want to, uh, you could take a look at the in-between chapters. We're just going to look at a little bit at chapter one and a little bit about chapter 16. But when you notice the in-between, you find out how quickly Mark is going through and telling this story because this is the story that desperately needed to get out and it's the story about Jesus what he did uh, what he taught and how he changed things so that is at the heart of what Mark's gospel is all about and then as you get to the end of Mark's gospel that is just like in all the other gospels it's when Jesus raises from the dead now they did put him to death he was buried, and then they're going to come to that tomb, but they find the tomb is empty. 
Mark has a very interesting way of putting it. In Mark chapter 16, we are only going to go as far as verse 8 here. There's a few reasons for that, and I'll mention those in just a moment. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome uh, bought, uh, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, I know this kind of seems like an odd place for us to, to stop and for you know me to not kind of continue that on because you sort of, right here, you, you stop without getting to the actual ending, right? Well, there's an interesting thing about Mark's gospel. Uh, there seems to be uh, a little bit of kind of some confusion uh, about the ending of Mark's gospel and how it actually does end. Some people believe that this is how Mark ended his gospel. But if you look at kind of, if you open up your Bible and look to the end of, of Mark's gospel, um, you might have a little footnote that has, you know, some copies of Mark's gospel include um, one type of ending and some include a, a different type of ending. Um, personally, I don't actually think that this is the end of Mark's gospel. I think that, that Mark goes on uh, into a, a few, no, uh, like kind of this many, again, verses or so, um, telling kind of like what uh, Luke does. He, I, I believe that Mark would have had a similar ending to Luke and that he would have had a similar ending to uh, Matthew right there. But, uh, you know, some people think that, that this is where it stopped. And, you know, kind of the, the neat little thought about that and what I want you to think about with me is what if this is where the gospel stopped? Is this really an end to it? Well, let's, let's think for a little bit about this, you know, what if scenario. Because notice how this story is. And notice how this story is, is kind of coming to an ending. We see they come to the tomb. They find out it's empty. Whenever they go, they get this statement that, well, they're looking for Jesus. He's been crucified, but he's already risen. He's not there. And they look at this evidence. And then they see it. They, they see all this evidence. They are convinced he's not here. He is risen from the dead. And then they're told this message in verse 7 that they need to proclaim this uh, to his disciples and to Peter. Now, the reason why Peter is singled out is because um, Peter is oftentimes singled out in the Gospels because he betrayed Jesus. You know, he said, well, I don't know him at all. Well, he knew him. And we also notice that Peter is going to be the one who, in the pages of the book of Acts, that is going to boldly proclaim the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. So there's a few reasons why Peter would be singled out right here, but he is the one who needs to be brought back in. And, and definitely, um, we, we, need, we learn this lesson about Peter, that what he had done, he is not beyond redemption, not for Jesus. Jesus will come and help him and raise him up again, um, you know, kind of spiritually speaking. And then uh, what we find in verse 8 would be an odd ending. I, I believe it would be a very strange ending to the book of Mark. 
Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Obviously, even people who believe this is the ending of Mark, they obviously know that's not the end of the story. That can't be the end of the story. Because how could that possibly be the end of the story? Because you have Mark's gospel. You're reading Mark's gospel. So how did Mark even write his gospel if the women truly never did ever tell anybody else? I believe what we really see right here is that they were, on, they were in such a hurry to go and to proclaim this message that they didn't speak to anybody along the way because probably, you know, without a doubt, they, as they were going to the disciples, they would have passed other people along the way. They are in such a hurry that they're not even speaking. They're not saying, oh, hi, you know, how are you doing? No, they're, they're going straight there. They're doing exactly what they need to do because they're confused, they're afraid, they're trembling, they're bewildered, they're afraid. All of those, those words are mentioned right here. But we know this can't be the end. Because it, it can't be the end of the story. Because any group of Christians, their existence tells you that the story doesn't end with people being, oh, afraid and not talking to anybody. No, this would have provided an opportunity. You know, if this is where you end the, the story of, of Mark's gospel, at least, if that's where you end it, then you know it's got to continue on. Because communities of Christians existed. And churches today, they exist. The story cannot end right there. It continues on. And we get, you know, the rest of the pages of the New Testament that tells us how this, this story continues on and tells us this is not the end of what's happening. It's kind of rather sort of a new beginning uh, in many ways. And we see that, uh, you know, uh, once again, I don't believe this is where Mark ends his gospel. I believe the story does continue. That, Dory, that story does continue because... The early witnesses, they did proclaim. They did um, definitely have all the evidence right there before them. They knew Jesus had raised from the dead. And they did go out. And they did boldly proclaim that message. And the news spread all over the world. We are living proof of that. You know, I am living proof of that because I'm on the other side of the world from where these events happen. But yet, I'm a follower of Jesus just like they still are on the other side of the world as well. And that's because this message doesn't just stay in one place. It spreads. It is too good to keep to ourselves. So I want you to, to think about that You know, as you look at Mark's gospel and maybe as you, you get to the ending and you see, okay, well, well what all do we see? You know, What is the end uh, of Mark's gospel? What is the end of this story? Well, the story does not end here. It continues on. This story is also one that we are a continuation of this story. So let's make sure that we boldly proclaim this message, that we openly will tell people about what Jesus has done for us and through us and through our Christian communities.